He First word that comes to mind is shagging, bonk, rooting, <laughs> procreation, the ins and outs of sex. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the second season of Bang, everybody's favourite, no shame, eyes wide open sex and relationship podcast. If this is your first time joining us, funnily enough, this episode is all about first times. Oh god. But first, let me introduce myself. I'm Melody Thomas and I've been fascinated by this stuff for as long as I can remember. And at times I've been made to feel pretty embarrassed about that. You know, here comes Melody, always with her mind in the gutter. But the implication there is that sex is dirty, or gross, or unimportant, and I disagree. Obviously for some, sex is private, something best talked about behind closed doors. And for others, it's mysterious and sacred, and just talking about it can ruin everything that's appealing in the first place. But for so many people, sex and relationships are the cause of deep anxiety and fear, And for them, not talking about it can have real and negative consequences. So we're going to talk about it, just like we did last season. Today, we're going to hear people talk about their first times. Oh, it was so awkward. And the ways those experiences were shaped by those around them. If people find sex dirty, then why are these people in these stories having so much fun? Plus, didn't you know virginity is a social construct? Professor Virginia Brown from the University of Auckland is here to tell us what on earth that means. As always, the conversations you're about to hear are not for everyone. So if there's sensitive ears around, just listen at another time. But now it's time to jump right in with one of our favourite activities, talking to strangers on the street about sex. I'm asking people about not just virginities, but like sexual awakenings, like the first time you started to feel and be aware of sexual feelings. You can't. Well, then, when it came to your first time, do you feel good about how it happened? Yeah, totally. I was in control of what I would and wouldn't do. Um, I regret doing it so young. Like if I went back, I'd probably change it and wait a little bit longer, but I don't regret it. I don't know, my first proper sexual experience was not a good one. Being a trans person, having a space that would have probably not been devoted to like hooking up would have been good. See, I was 18 and I'd be going out with uh, my partner for about eight months and he wanted to and I wasn't ready. And then probably 18 and a half and I thought, yeah, it's time. I was quite quite ready, yeah. Was that with that same boyfriend? Yeah, same one, absolutely. We've been together for 22 years. You're still together? Yeah, absolutely. Oh my God, that's amazing. It was my first love, absolutely. My own first time, like it's so long ago. What do you remember about it? Uh, awkward. Awkward, <laughs> yeah. That's a common theme. We probably both would have been about 19, so... That's probably old. I was a bit of a boring prude at school. (laughs) When I was, say, 13 or 14, all I wanted was to have, like, you know, that cliche image of, like, the prince, but him, like, inside me and, like, having beautiful sex. But, like, then when you have sex with another teenage boy, it's like, you know, they don't know anything about foreplay. Terror. Um, Anxiety. It's about uncertainty about what was going to happen but more 
disappointing right. the other person, yeah. Do you think that when it eventually happened, I mean without giving us details, but <laughs> unless you want to, how did it unfold? Awkwardly, I mean the first time was okay, but over time, and as we sort of got to know each other more, things got infinitely better. Yep. If there's someone now in similar shoes, a similar age, similarly terrified, or I guess if you could go back and talk to yourself, what would your advice be? I don't know that advice would have helped me back then, because it's an experiential thing, and something I only could have gotten over by taking the great leap of faith. Just know yourself and ask advice. Wait. Find somebody that you actually had a connection with. Don't feel like you have to meet other people's expectations. Actually, being yourself, even though it's difficult, it is like something that can't be avoided. If you do avoid it, then it just causes all sorts of other problems. That's a pretty small sample size. But one thing that stands out is how different the first time can be from person to person, depending on whether they felt they were too young or too old, on their sexuality, on the information that they had at hand, and whether they felt they were in control of how it all went down. But something that remains constant is the idea that losing your virginity is a big deal. No one I asked said, you know what, I can't remember. I guess it didn't make much of an impact. Even those of us who aren't brought up in cultural or religious contexts where the importance of virginity is explicitly stated still believe that it's some kind of marker of adulthood. I wonder where we get that idea. Have you ever done it? Didn't we already cover this? Why don't you just answer the question? It's only one question. No! I never did it! Are you a virgin? Yeah, yeah, not since I was 10. It all makes sense! You're a virgin! You're a virgin who can't drive. Freshman year is like one big sexual pop quiz. You need to do your homework. That's all about sex. We will make a stand. We will get laid. You're still a virgin? You've done other things, right? No. Where have you been? Waiting. That's the movies. But how does real life stack up? It's time to hear some real stories. Now, aside from for this podcast, I wouldn't usually ask someone I barely know about their early sex life. But you're about to meet one person who I have had this conversation with, at length, despite knowing him for a total of about 10 hours. Um, so I'm Tegan, I'm 25, well I mean gay is like 50, so, um, and I'm a hairdresser. And I, I'm your hairdresser. <laughs> when he was a kid, Tegan lived in Dargaville, a town in Northland nearly an hour's drive southwest of Whangarei that apparently briefly boasted the country's largest population, but is now home to around 4,000 people. You know, the nearest town was like 45 minutes away kind mm. of deal. So there's not a, I don't know, not a huge amount of social interaction, not so much like the pressures mm. um, of a city. So once I moved to a city... All of a sudden it was, I knew I was very different. That city was Napier, and compared to Dargaville, it was the big smoke. There was traffic lights, there was roundabouts. There was one roundabout in Dargaville and it got washed away. No, it didn't. It did. Tegan moved to Napier just in time for high school, where he had a crash course in coming of age while gay. Looking back, Tegan can see how painful those years were, but at the time he was just coping the best he could, just like all of the kids around him. Like the constant sort of bullying, the constant just sort of second looks walking down the street. 
you know, like people yelling at you, literally walking down the road, getting sent death threats as well. Um, one of them was like, we'll be waiting for you after school. Like, we're going to fucking kill you, basically. But they tended to be from, like, the deputy principal's top athletes. And so at the time, they kind of downplayed it. They were like, oh, look, they didn't mean to send that. It was just meant to be a light joke, and you've taken it the wrong way. I guess at the time, too, everyone was on the internet. Mm. So there were lots of stories from lots of people saying, you know, like, it's just, like, it's high school. It's teenagers discovering themselves, trying to group together. Everyone's got their insecurities. That's the setting. It's probably familiar. Fast forward to now, Tegan and I are sitting on my couch at my house. It's the first time we've hung out outside of the hairdresser and the most detail we've ever gone into about his experiences. And as the conversation unfolds, I begin to realise that Tegan's sexual awakening happened slowly, over time, starting well before his first time. Like this. So growing up as a kid, I always knew that I was gay. I, I didn't know exactly what it was, but mm. at one point, actually, the farmers next door hired a gay couple and um, they were living in the farmhouse. And I was like, ah, that's what it is. That's what I am. That's what I am. And later on. First, like, real boyfriend. I was probably, I don't know, 14, 15. Was it a kid at your school? Yeah. Yeah? It was. So you kind of managed to hook up with one of the only other out gay people at your high school. I did. <laughs> the dating pool was small, but I was keen to get in the waters. Then at 16. I was, I guess you could say it's flatting with my friend's mum. And you know, like <laughs> when you're like 16, you think you're being really stealth, you know, sneaking boys in to the flat late at night so that no one knows that you've got someone in your room. Mm. And there was this one guy who um, was pretty frequent. This is who Tegan lost his virginity to. We had been friends beforehand, so we were comfortable and open, kind of talking about stuff. So there was a conversation as things were happening. Um, I don't think he realised at the time that it was my first time, um, but there was a conversation of, is this good for you? Um, you know, what uh, do you want to do? What do you want to do? Mm. Um, do you need more lubricants? Uh, stuff like that. I guess for a lot of straight relationships, is you know, You've got two parts that are going to fit together. But, yeah, for a gay couple, is there's that extra level of, you know, who's going to be top or bottom or versatile or, you know, like the submissive or dominant kind of mm. deal. So I guess we do have those conversations that a lot of people don't have. So I'm, ge I'm guessing it makes for a better time. Through all of this, Tegan had the feeling that his real life was still waiting for him that if he could just get to an even bigger city, he'd find his people and he'd be able to return to that place from his childhood where he wasn't defined by his difference. At 17, he left Napier to go to Auckland and it was there that he felt his eyes fully opened. I guess it, it was kind of like a second sexual awakening for me. Were there things that were kind of scary about it as well or was it just all, I have arrived? I think it was a kind of false sense of I have arrived. If growing up, I don't think I could ever recall seeing a gay couple walking down the street holding hands. Um, and then you walk into a club where guys are, you know, grinding up on each other and making out and the bathrooms are <laughs> questionable at some hours of the morning. So it's kind of, it was confronting, I guess, in a way, but also kind of exciting that, you know, all of these people were here mm. confident in themselves, you know, like you can do whatever but you're still such a baby yeah. like you almost need like a 
fairy godmother or someone to like lead you into this world or through this world. You kind of do, to be honest. Yeah, at that age, you're so impressionable. Um, You kind of just try to form and meet what's around you. Mm. Um, So I definitely say when I moved to Auckland, I wasn't myself as a full person yet. You know, like I was still discovering things about myself, Mm. um, still developing. And so it was sort of all of a sudden, all of this was around me. Um, so it's kind of a little bit overwhelming and, a, you know, you want to fit in, you want to make the best of it. So. And is there a taking you under their wing kind of thing that happens? Definitely. Yeah. 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 Like, oh, here's, like, here's a fresh young one. Let's make sure they stay safe and have yeah. a good time. It's kind of 50-50 that and, oh, here's a fresh young one. Delicious. I couldn't tell you the number of times I've walked into a bar and been groped or, you know, had someone try to touch me or make advances on me that weren't welcome and I've kind of vocalised it, but it's been continued to be pursued. You know, if a 17-year-old is now listening and about to jump on that bus to the big city, like, what would you tell them to keep them in a way to keep themselves safe? Take a friend with you to the clubs, you know. Know your limits with your alcohol, watch your drink, all of those kind of usual things. Remember who you are. Keep your own sort of values and morals and don't stray from it. Obviously, if... If you learn things and you want to change your viewpoint, totally go for it, Um, explore, but don't just let it sort of suck you in. If there's someone listening who's having a hard time and who's having people tell them that they are wrong. Those people's opinions don't matter. Those are the people who are going to be in your life very temporarily. You're going to grow, you're going to move on. It does absolutely 110% get easier. You'll find your new sort of family or support. You'll find amazing friends, you'll have a good time. Just be true to yourself. Don't let their voices dull you down and get out. Run to a city. Get out! (laughs) Get on a bus! Get the fuck on a bus. researching for this episode, someone messaged me on Twitter to talk about her virginity. Her story jumped out because like so many first times, it was awkward and confusing and painful, but instead of accepting it for what it was, she set out to redefine it. This is Rose, starting right at the beginning of her sexual awakening. Like I did some sexual things when I was about seven, and that was with a young girl, like we were the same age. Like behind her bunk bed, there was like this weird crawl space. And so we went in there, did some things, and her mum came in and was like, what are you doing? We were like, we're playing bunnies, obviously. We're being bunnies. I didn't really know what I was doing, but I definitely knew that it had to be a secret. And I remember I had this really intense crush on a boy when I was like 10. He looked a little bit like Harry Potter. Even now, at 24, you might describe Rose as endearingly awkward. But her teenage experiences weighed more heavily on just the straight awkward side of things. To give you an idea of what I mean, here she is talking about her first kiss with her then first boyfriend and some of the other firsts that came soon after. I was, it was at a sleepover and I'd, I'd like pretended to be in a bed with someone else and then like got into the bed with him and then I think I kind of, like, tried to kiss him, and it was really dark, and I think I, like, totally just, like, kissed his nose or something. And then I was like, cool, okay, turn away, don't do anything more. That was a lot to deal with. Oh, it was 
it's so awkward thinking about it. It was just such an awkward time because I had a lot of anxiety. So I just like didn't know what I was doing at any point. We had some like nights where we lay together and just like spooned the whole night, which were really sweet. But then he also uh, really liked to talk about all of the girls he'd been with and I had been with no one before. And he would be like, yeah, I'm really good at taking bras off. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's great. Oh, that's such a teenage brag, eh? Yeah, I was like... I, I can was... do it with one hand. Yeah, he totally said that. <laughs> he was like, let me try with you. And I was like, okay. <laughs> yeah, when he said it like that, I was kind of like, why? Why would we bother doing that pointless exercise? Like, mm. I just didn't even really know where that could end up. But yeah. Where it would end up was Rose having sex in the same confused, almost accidental way. There was a time where he... I took off my bra and we were making out and that was nice. And he was like, oh, he said something really vague, like, like, should we do it or can we do it? And I was like, they, like I didn't ever thought process. I was just like, okay. And then I was like, wait, what did I just say yes to? And then I was like, oh, maybe it's the whole, the thing, the sex thing is what I just said yes to. Um, oh, God. He, uh, yeah, he put his fingers inside me in, like, a very sort of just, like, I was a workmanlike manner that was just, like, bloop. It was kind of like, a, oh, well, you're ready now. And I was like, <laughs> am I? And then he tried to uh, put his penis inside me, and it just, like, was not working because obviously I was like not wet at all and it was just like not like a good situation um which looking back I'm like oh it's because I wasn't ready I think we tried a few more times with like different like I was on top of him at one point he was underneath just like trying to get the penis in I guess and it just didn't work and then so then basically kind of like essentially gave up and was like okay it's not happening and then I was just like crushed inside I was like like a failed totally was a feeling of failure the next morning in the bed was like a weird globule of some bloody thing and I was like oh I guess that's a hymen I just felt like deeply disappointed that I had failed that situation and wrote some like diary entries like I have disappointed me I've disappointed him I have failed everything is wrong don't be fooled by her laughter Rose might have come to terms with how things happen now but at the time it was really painful But here's the thing, when you ask Rose about the time she lost her virginity, that's not the story she tells. For this next bit, we need to bring in someone else. Take a seat. How you going? I'm good. This is Sam, and he's as cute in real life as he sounds on tape. I was very definitely into her for a long time. Um, (laughs) But she, she kept having conversations about she didn't like being asked out. And because I was, I liked her, but I didn't want to stop being friends with her. So I was like, I want it to be a situation where she can say no and it will be totally fine because I will do something like go home because everyone's gone and it's the end of an evening or something. So, Mm. yeah. So when you did finally meet and decide to go on a date or how did it, how did things kind of (laughs) kick off for you guys? Go on a date, Melody, is not what happened. Was it all that night? Did things just happen that night? Did them? <laughs> what I said was, do you want to stay the night? And you said, yep. 
yes, it was questioning at first because I thought I thought she might be offering like the couch or something. <laughs> she wasn't offering the couch. But they didn't actually have sex that night. Or for quite a while afterwards. That earlier time, the one that was all confusion and anxiety, had really stuck with Rose. And she wasn't ready to go there. So they waited. I understood and I was fine with it and I really wanted to move at her pace. But in a way it was kind of fun. It's the sexual tension building mm. up for such a long time. I remember being quite clear with you that I like wanted to get to that place, but I needed time. Yeah. And there were there were actually a few times where we tried and I just it felt like there was something stopping me. And like obviously when we actually had sex it was a bit painful, but like all the few times that we tried before then, the pain was just like too much. But it, I think because it was also emotional pain, mm. and I just I was just like I literally can't keep going. And you were just so um, understanding and lovely that it it just didn't feel like an issue. It was like, yeah, it just felt like we had time. Eventually, after a couple of months, it happened. Um, well, I will preface with I had a counselling session. <laughs> a particularly successful counselling It was that morning and I was like look, we're using this session we're going to solve the problem and I need to come out of this ready and she was like, okay she's like, what do you imagine do you feel like something was taken away from you in that experience with your first boyfriend and I was like, yes, he took my jewel and she was like, okay, we're going to get your jewel back she was like, okay you need to imagine seeing him and saying, it's time for my to take my jewel back and like <laughs> say to him all the stuff you would have said at that time. So it was like so cathartic. I was just like, yes, I've emotionally solved all of the issues I have. And so I was just like super ready. Um, How do you remember the next bit? I mean, I feel like I'm going to be grossly pragmatic oh, now. But I mean, not only were we both emotionally ready at that point, I do remember that lube helped for that first time. It's good because I, I forgot about that. So aside from the pragmatic <laughs> <laughs> application of lube, it obviously was a, a good experience for both of you. Yeah, it definitely yeah. hurt at first. Yeah. Um, but I was like, I want to push through this pain because I think there's some pleasure on the other side. So it went from like actual pain to weird mix of pleasure and pain to just pleasure. And I was like, yeah, we got there. <laughs> got to the other side. The fact that it hurts always troubles me. Mm. Because that initial time is built up to be this really special thing. But it's also, compared to the sex you will have once it doesn't hurt and you're both familiar with each other and you're trying other things, it's not as good. And you care about each other, but you're hurting her. It's not. That must be weird. It's not sexy. Yeah. To think that it's just painful for the other person. That's why I think it's like you should only have sex if you really, really want it. Because then it's like you're pushing through the pain because you want to push through the pain, not because you feel like you have to or because you're confused about what you're doing or because someone's forcing you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Just because your first time wasn't what you hoped it would be, you can't just opt out of it and choose a new one. Virginity is a thing. It has a definition that we all recognise as real and true. Does it, though? William Saunders. Hi. It's usually our audio engineer, usually hidden behind a desk. 
but I has am. agreed to get on mic. What you're here to do is read from the dictionary for us. Based on the Merriam-Webster dictionary that I've printed out for you there, could you tell me the definition of the word virgin? A person who has not had sexual intercourse, which seems pr- pretty straightforward. Yeah. You'll see that I've got the term sexual intercourse also defined. Can you read what's hmm. there? Heterosexual intercourse involving penetration of the vagina by the penis. That seems um, quite specific. <laughs> it is specific. But hang on a minute. There's another bit underneath that bit. Can you yep. read that bit too? Intercourse, such as anal or oral intercourse, that does not involve penetration of the vagina by the penis. Hang on. So sexual intercourse can be penis and vagina, can be oral intercourse, can be anal intercourse. Anything Basically, between two people in the privacy it, of their own home. Would you say that you feel it is no longer as straightforward as when you first started out Absolutely this exercise? Not. Well, it, it is, and then it isn't. For those who are wondering, the Oxford Dictionary defines sexual intercourse as the insertion of a man's penis into a woman's vagina. So it's more straightforward, but also more straight. The entry also specifically mentions orgasm, which is interesting because even if men reach orgasm the first time, which they sometimes don't, many women that I know by that classification remain virgins years into their sex lives. Finally, if you're thinking about the hymen, or the jewel, as Rose might say, we could spend a whole episode talking about how problematic that is as a measure of virginity. Basically, hymens are different person to person. They don't break so much as stretch or sometimes tear. There isn't always blood or even pain, and a hymen can stretch or tear from activities other than sex, like tampon use, gymnastics, and horse riding. So if virginity isn't any of these things, what on earth is it? It's at this point that I remembered something I'd read in an article once about virginity not being described as this single, easily measured moment, you know, the time I lost my virginity, but as a social construct. What? Virginia Brown is a professor in psychology at the University of Auckland who specialises in gender, sexuality and health. She's also my aunt. So the conversation you're about to hear is pretty typical of others that we've had where I basically call her up confused and she lets me know where the research stands as well as calling me out on whatever problematic assumptions I've brought to the table. Anyway, Ginny, what does the phrase virginity is a social construct actually mean? Well, what it basically comes down to is that virginity, I guess, is not an absolute thing. You know, it's not like... There's a clear physiological or material or real boundary. Everything we think about it reflects the social meanings that are piled onto it and added to it. So So if you stripped all those away, you'd probably have something very different. It might not even be significant, but we can't strip those things away because those are the things that make up culture and they make up who we are because we live in those cultures. I think the thing, when I started looking into this idea of virginity as a construct, the thing that struck home for me and made me go, oh, like, it is more complicated than that. There were two things, actually. One mm-hmm. was, if virginity equals my, your hymen was broken by a penis as a female or your, mm-hmm. you, um, you broke you know, a hymen. You broke a hymen with your penis as a male, then um, by that rationale, lesbians who have been sexually active their whole lives are still virgins. Mm-hmm which feels like nonsense. Mm-hmm. And, I guess, and I guess gay men, if we're talking about the hymen, men having sex with men as well. But also people with experiences of abuse, like people who were potentially abused as children or as teenagers and had no agency in that decision. Are you going to tell them that they are no longer virgins? 
Yeah, I think both of those examples are really good examples for why this idea is so, I guess, outdated and inappropriate, really. It doesn't reflect the reality of people's experiences and people's lives. But it also, for me, I think one of the things that I I really find problematic is that it almost kind of ties in this idea of pain and discomfort and sort of displeasure into that moment for women's supposed first sexual experience. And if that's what we're holding up as the most important thing, that feels really wrong. Instead of thinking about, you know, how can this thing, which is going to be, for many of you, for most of you, part of your life, be something that you start doing in a way which is positive, where pleasure is part of the conversation right from the start, and where certain particular activities are not judged to be the proper ones, the best ones, the right ones. Because I think the idea of virginity and that this counting is kind of real and proper and somehow being meaningful also has a coercive element to it, almost like, you know, for many that it kind of has to be done, that there's this thing. And I think that does, that shapes people's practice, it can shape people's practices and not necessarily in positive ways. In a moment, we're going to hear about how culture shaped one young woman's sexual awakening. But before we hear from her, here's one last snippet from Ginny talking about virginity that happens to set the scene really well. For girls, there is a mix of that sense of it as, you know, and this has long historical roots, that sense of it as something precious and something to be preserved and that ties into all those kind of ideas about sort of purity and um, vulnerability of girls. But there is also, for many girls, a desire to be rid of it. And it can hold those meanings at the same time, you know, like it can be something that maybe feels precious but also maybe, you know, feels like a burden. It's time to meet Ria. My hometown is called Baguio. It's very different from the rest of the Philippines because it was founded by the American colonial government. It's like very American and it's on top of a mountain. It's cold. It's much colder than the rest of the Philippines. There are pine trees. And at the same time, it's also very middle class. So there's a lot of pressure to not to dishonor your family, mm. to be to be a proper middle class child. Like... Don't sleep around, don't like dishonor your parents. Also, they'd say, like, that's not Filipino if you sleep around. It's like, it's a violation of our culture, and like, Filipino women are the best because they keep themselves chaste. And you wanna be part of the culture too, you, you don't wanna stand out. In the Philippines, virginity is huge. More than 80% of the population is Catholic. And the idea that sex should only ever happen between a husband and a wife is outlined in the Constitution. I dated guys who asked me point blank if I was a virgin. I actually refused to answer that question because I thought that it didn't matter at all. And if it's something that the guy valued, then why should I even date this person? This is the setting for Rhea's sexual awakening. My parents, they had a huge library and nothing was off limits to me and I ended up picking up Henry Miller and Anais Nin and like reading that stuff at sixth in sixth grade and then I felt so embarrassed about being turned on by it but at the same time I was like I, I run 
if people find sex dirty, then why are these people in these stories having so much fun? So <laughs> it's just that it was so hard for me to express that in like this culture where like if you if you're a woman, even if you want to have sex, that's already dirty. Where the wider culture in the Philippines is conservative, Ria's family was very liberal. So she felt a real push and pull between the messages she was getting out in the world versus the ones she received at home. There was this girl who, she she worked at a local eatery in our neighborhood and she's probably 15 years old and she had slept with a married man. I remember like overhearing people in high school calling women sluts and it's like something that I thought was just a given that if you slept around at such an early age you're, you're a slut. So like I was calling Gina I think that was her name, a slut. And then my dad like overheard me, like sat me down and told me never to call any woman a slut because women who are like very sexually expressive are shamed in ways that men aren't. And he said that like, why is it wrong to be honest about your urges? There's nothing wrong with being expressively sexual. And it was something that I couldn't wrap my head around mm. at the time. How old were you? I was probably 13 and like everybody else around me was like, if you sleep around, even if you masturbate, you're dirty, you're mm. like weird, you're perverted. And even if my father felt that way, I still couldn't because he was like the only person who thought differently. I wasn't sure if like what he was saying was valid enough for me to listen to. Mm. So you want to get dates too. Like, well, in the Philippines, we don't really call it dating. We call it courtships. Like guys will still court women. And if you're a slut, you won't get courted and you want guys to like you. And if you're not a virgin anymore, it's like, your like value just goes down. So I seesaw between like wanting, really wanting to do it and not wanting to do it. And then at the same time, there weren't that many opportunities. Can I, this is a, I'm using this term really affectionately, but you were like a super horny book nerd. I was super, I was like ridiculously horny. And <laughs> yeah, and um, internet speeds in the Philippines were slow anyway, so I can watch porn. So, <laughs> and my parents would have killed me anyway. Ria continued to seesaw for years. Sex was something she wanted to explore, but as well as the potential repercussions she might face socially, there's the fact that it's essentially impossible to get an abortion in the Philippines legally. She also wanted to explore with someone who understood where she was coming from. I was like, I'm gonna die a virgin and <laughs> nobody will know. <laughs> How old were you when you lost your virginity? 28. <laughs> That's 28, in case you missed it. You still, are you still slightly embarrassed about it, or? Uh, yeah, because, no, I shouldn't be embarrassed about it. No, actually. <laughs> in her teens and 20s, Ria went to university in the Philippines and in the United States. But in terms of this thing that she desperately wanted to do, it was all a bit uneventful, until she moved to New Zealand. It was her first Christmas here, and because she couldn't afford to fly home, she went to Auckland to spend the holidays with a family friend who happened to have two sons. My mom mentioned that to me, probably thinking that, oh, one of them could be your boyfriend. I was like, these people always have two sons, and they're never interested in me, so forget it. And then one of them had a girlfriend, but the other one, 
<laughs> he was a salsa teacher and brought me to a salsa party. There was just something about him. He wasn't like conventionally attractive. It's just that he knew how to make women trust him. And I thought I was a terrible dancer, but then he knew how to connect with me and make me feel confident on the dance floor and um, even attractive. He was sexy because he was just so confident and he he wasn't like the other guys I had danced with who like just pushed the girl around. Like he allowed the woman to to do what her body wanted to do while also leading her. He didn't know that I was a virgin until we had problems the first time. Like he couldn't get it in and then I'd like weepingly tell him that like I'm a virgin. Don't don't run away from me. And then he said, why are you ashamed of being a virgin? Filipinas are usually proud of being virgins. Because, yeah, he came from that culture too. And I think it helped that he was from the culture. Like it helped me trust him more. Mm. I don't know. There, there's always that fear of missing out. And like the fear that I may have missed out on a lot of experiences. But at the same time, like so much of the sex out there is bad. When like this thing happened, finally happened with this guy, it, I didn't decide to have sex with him because he moved really well on the floor. It's just that I was feeling it. So it doesn't have to be perfect, but you should feel good about it even before you go into it. For Rhea, Tegan and Rose, having sex for the first time wasn't like the movies or like they'd been taught to expect by their surrounding culture. In the words of Professor Jenny Brown, It's almost, I think, as if there's this kind of like magical point at which you're supposed to go from not being interested in it, not wanting to do it, to suddenly getting to this very narrow age-appropriate window and then jumping onto the other side almost. Their stories are all really different, but where they agree is that losing their virginities wasn't the defining point of their sexual awakenings. It was more one of many significant moments in a long, sometimes confusing, but increasingly empowering journey. And it would have been nice to have some idea about what it was going to be like going into it. Let's finish with some advice from Rose and Sam. Um, I would say it's really important to just go really slow. And if you are any like way confused about what you're gonna do or how you feel about it, just don't do it. Like, just like keep making out for the next three hours because that's great fun. Um. Talking is sexy. I don't I don't think we appreciate that enough. Someone saying that they want something is a good way to know that someone actually wants it, but is also fun. Or even if it's like, oh, would you like to try this? That was a big part of, of my first time, which was great. I don't know, maybe it's a personal thing, but I, I think it can be really hot to just say, oh, would you like me to do this? Or even asking someone to do something for you. It's It's both ethical and fun. And that's good. Yeah. But also, I think there's too much of a focus on, on achieving the penetrative stage. All the stuff that gets relegated to foreplay, quote unquote, can be just as good or better. And, it, and it's fine to stick with that for a while if you're not ready. Yeah.
that's it for the first episode of Bang Season 2. We're going to have more on virginity, masculinity, expectations, including what the virginity myth says to those who identify as asexual in upcoming episodes. If there are any questions that you think we didn't answer, we're going to be live in the studio in Nights with Brian Crump at 8.30 on Wednesday, May 30th. You can email bang at radionz.co.nz or download the RNZ Vox Pop app and record your question. If you want to hear those questions answered, the segment will go up on the RNZ website after it is. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe by going to Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever else you get your podcasts. And of course, review and rate us if you get a minute. Bang was produced by me, Melody Thomas, engineered by William Saunders, and the executive producer is Tim Watkin. Next week, we follow Ollie on his quest to get a date. Plus, we hear some other less often heard dating stories. And have the rules of courtship changed in the wake of the Me Too movement? If you've been hanging out for more sexy sex conversations between seasons, we have a bonus episode coming out this Friday. I'll be joined in the studio by the wonderful women of the spin-offs on the RAG podcast. That's Michelle Acourt, Alex Casey and Leonie Hayden. And we're going to talk about all the beautiful, awkward and hilarious moments of their sexual awakenings. I'm going to leave you now with a little snippet of that. What about um, like celebrity crushes and because and, for me it was all, well, as a teenager it was Jonathan Taylor Thomas, even as a young lion in The Lion King, which mm-hmm. is still to this day confusing mm-hmm. for me because I'm slightly more attracted to their like child lion than the grown up lion. What about the Matthew Broderick teenager though? Is that what grown is? when he like, matures during a Hakuna Matata. There's like a moment. <laughs> yeah, okay. And that's when I was like, hello. Yeah, okay. There's a hot lion. <laughs> In fact, I think you can elaborate on this, Alex, because this, that's not your only... Like. Well, this is weird. When you sent the thing sort of saying, what were your sort of... Your teenage crashes, your sort of like... Or not teenage, no. Like, Pre- I got onto humans as a teenager. Let's just put it that way. But, <laughs> but as a kid, and maybe it's just because of like kids' films, but I had like so many crushes. Like, yes, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, but only as Pinocchio. <laughs> is that like yeah. an animation? There's a live action where no. he's like... Voices this wooden Pinocchio. And maybe look it's at the like nose on that guy. <laughs> oh, I mentioned the main ant from Ants. Yeah, we sent a photo of him waving. And I think it's not it's not the actual <laughs> physicality you're connecting to. But he does have quite a like a ripped body, I know. <laughs> He's got a sexy little ant bod for sure. <laughs> but I think it's like the voices. And it's kind of putting up a, a, a boundary where it's not as scary. Because you're like, oh, it's yeah. kind of an imaginary thing. It's a yeah. safe way to explore um, that stuff. Yeah. Mm. Uh, Jim Carrey as the Grinch was maybe my Ooh. worst. Whoa. My worst I one. I lost a little bit of respect. My <laughs> worst one. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, I'm not proud of it. Okay. Luckily, yeah. you know, this isn't going anywhere. These mics aren't on, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs>